Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. I am your host, Mark Ellis, joined, as always, by Jacqueline Coley. Once again, we are in studio, and according to you, firsthand, we are in airports. Yes, we are in airports. No, it is so funny. I really love anyone who's watched us loyalty on our OTT or on YouTube, seeing my evolution to actually caring about my appearance <laughs> here. And that is directly related to how many of you have started to come up to me and say, oh, hey, you're on the TV. And I'm like, man, this podcast is way more visible than I normally thought. But yeah, we're in airports. Mm -hmm. We're in like... Three million households. Like the video version of this podcast is out way more than I realized. I want to get us to gas station level because you know sometimes when you pull over and you're you're filling up gas and you see like like our friend Scott Mance yes. I've seen pop up at a gas station before. I'd like to be in the back of taxis if you're in the yeah. tri-state area. That's a big big boost. Yeah, in uh in New York you could be in a taxi listening to Scott Mance. Mm -hmm. While pumping gas, like, you know what I mean? While, <laughs> while the cabbie pulled over. You. Yeah. And then you would then drive into the city and see like a poster of him because he did like Access Hollywood. I do not want that. And you would know every movie release date by the end of that cab, right? I, I, yeah. <laughs> see, I just always like I have a, I have a Mark's asleep at home and then Mark is on camera and it's a very similar Mark. It's very, <laughs> it's, there really isn't a lot that changes. There may be a little bit of powder involved if I'm going on stage, which actually is a nice transition because I happen to, as of this recording, be taping my comedy special next Saturday night, December 3rd in Los Angeles. So y'all can still get some tickets are still available. I think the late show is just about sold out. We have a 7 and a 9.30. It's at the historic Hayworth Theater, which is called Dynasty Typewriter now. And you can get tickets at markellis.live. New hour stand-up. There's a lot of movie stuff in there. It is. There's a whole movie chunk. Oh, so, wow. I mean, I really you know, love this. I lo talk about what you know. Can I tell you, this is like somebody who we both know who may live in my house uh, has said <laughs> that you were an inspiration to their new wardrobe edition. They've said that they want to get a comedian's jacket like mine, because I recently got a members only jacket. A members see in our next clip. only jacket. Yeah, and he um, says that that's a comedian's jacket. Like y'all all wear the same sort of like bomber jacket. Let's bring in our guest then, who yeah. actually is a comedian of note. You can also catch him on the big thing on the Christian Harloff and Friends YouTube channel. He is Brett Sheridan, a joy to the world, and we're talking about Hook today. Uh, Steven Spielberg. He's got a new movie coming out called The Fablemans, which actually is released as of this recording today on Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Uh, Brett, do comedians? have a particular jacket that we all wear. 
Um, yes, and they all do finger guns in their <laughs> headshots. Oh, they my have. God. Y'all know that every single one of y'all wear this jacket. And in fact, I think it was the jacket you were wearing in your last special. I got one for Christmas. I didn't wear a jacket in the last special, Not but I got one for Christmas. And so I do wear that on stage. A fair amount. I didn't I know it was the comedian the jacket. Only jacket. There's not a specific type, but there's a type of I think jacket that like it's dark jacket. It comes to your waist. You know what I mean? Like it's either it's not quite a blazer, yes. but it's kind of a more casual version of. I, like, I know no, what you're saying blazer bomber. Yeah. Well, have this have is... whoever you're talking about have them have that ready when I come over to your place next, which I hear is actually going to be in a couple days. Yes, it will be because it it's not really the type of jacket. It's how you pull it off. Do you have the right <laughs> level of of desperation and need to please that comedians do. Oh my God. I think these jackets are great, by the way. This is not a diss, but I do love how you're like, we don't have a uniform. And let's be real. I should be very clear. Um, Comedians such as yourselves. This is not the Eddie Murphy raw or delirious look that black comedians. Black comedians, we're going to church. There's like an entire different like. You're going to church or the Met Gala. Exactly, yeah. If you're talking about Eddie Murphy. You know what I mean? Like it's like a different thing for the male versions of comedians that I think are on the uh, brown and black persuasion. But yeah, y'all. Y'all got a uniform. Well, I mean, you don't think I could pull off a leather yellow or a red leather? He went red for Delirious. He went purple purple Purple. for Eddie Murphy Raw. And it was something that you watch and you're like, that's awesome. He's pulling it off. I will never pull it off. But I'll also tell you this is that the mistake that a lot of young comedians make is seeing Robin Williams and his stand up, which is so fast and quick and improvisational. And he's wearing, he goes Hawaiian shirts. For Live Mm -hmm. at the Met, he went went, uh, with a Hawaiian shirt when he was live at the Roxy in the late 70s when Mork and Mindy was huge. Yeah. He had that crazy wardrobe and that is the subject of one of the movies that we're talking yeah. about today. Hook. And you think Robin Williams is the star of it. It's also got Julia Roberts, yeah. Dustin Hoffman, Bob Hoskins. It's directed by Steven Spielberg. This should be an all-timer in terms of everything. Box office, tomato meter. It's Rotten. It yeah. is actually very rotten. It's the it's, Spielberg currently has three movies that he directed that are rotten. And Hook is the lowest one. Hook is 29%. What the other two, I can't even remember them off the top of my head. I'm going to have to like pull up research. Well, on one is one. 1941. That's what it is. <laughs> yes, 1941. That, that, that's exactly, 1941 yeah. is better rated, according to the tomato meter anyway. <laughs> and Lost World, right? Than Hook and The Lost World, Jurassic yeah. Park. And this one is, as far as Hook goes, 76% of the audience score. Now, he is still Steven Spielberg, and he clearly has his fastball because the Fablemans is 95% certified fresh as of now with an audience score of 91%. So The Fablemans is now out in theaters uh, nationwide here in the States. And Hook is featured in our book, Rotten Movies We Love, which was really the impetus for this podcast. And so, Jacqueline, it's sort of like we're back on our most fertile soil here, mining movies that maybe the public loves, but not necessarily the critics, at least at the time of the movie's release. And so we have a couple editorials at the website. We have an editorial that's ranking every Steven Spielberg movie, best to worst. Then we also have the Steven Spielberg showdown, which I think we're getting into the final four. Yes, this is the this is uh, online right now. You can vote for Steven Spielberg's. It's our bracket challenge. It's like it's, sports, Brett. Yeah. Oh, OK. I was yeah. I was told there'd be no sports talk on this <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I mean, you definitely understand probably at least the idea of warfare. And so, like, they're yeah, going at it, you know. Exactly. Put it's, it as Dungeons and Dragons analogy if you want. But we've gotten rid of the pawns and we're getting down here, you know. <laughs> this is the final rumble. Uh, no, and this is what I would say. I believe the ones that are last, it's Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I don't think Schindler's List made it to the end, did it? It's It might be his best movie. won Best Director and it won Best Picture, but it's not the most uplifting piece. Yeah, and maybe that's factoring into the online voting. I think that one, but I, I definitely know Saving Private Ryan and Jurassic Park are the two that I believe are still at the top, but I don't quote me on that one. Okay, well, I want to get into our favorite Spielberg movies as well and all this good stuff, but right now, let's just start with Hook. It, we I do want to get y'all's take on The Fablements because y'all have both seen it, mm-hmm. so we'll get into that later on in the show after we're done talking about Hook and our many opinions about the 1991 classic, not according to the tomato meter. But first, uh, Brett Sheridan, is Hook fresh or rotten in your eyes? Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about Hook? Rotten Tomatoes is wrong about Hook. Um, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> I, I have a theory that maybe the the older generation like myself and older who enjoyed it don't go on the Rotten Tomatoes and that it gets the younger people that are taking in now, okay. um, which is what I viewed in my son's eyes, why he half watched it on his phone <laughs> and went like, mm, yeah, I'm like, see, it's, it's, it's dad. He's got a, he, his happy place with his dad is his being born. Yeah. Okay. It's kind of like your son has turned into Robin Williams's yeah, character yeah. from the movie because you, because he's on his phone all the time. And now yeah. this generation of kids is on their phone all the time. So maybe that's what, that's why we're not back at Never Neverland. It's these damn phones. I mean, maybe, but also the fact of like, what did Robin Williams' phone do? Like, Robin Williams' phone just called other people to be angry at. Kids' phone now can literally Mm. bring you the world. Okay, but (laughs) Robin Williams' phone did flip. And that was a big deal because you could still kind of hang up on someone angrily. And you couldn't do, you can't do it now. You just hit a button. Did you have one of those? I I had I had the more recent flip phone, like the Motorola ones okay. in the in the mid two thousands. But my parents had a car phone. Oh, wow, those are nice. you were privileged in the mid nineties. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we felt we felt big time. Wow, driving home from school with the car phone. I don't know that they ever touched it, but it was there. It was there, and you were able to use it. And I still um, remember the number. Did they have the beeper that was this long? And my the, dad had a good beeper, beeper, but it was a pretty oh clandestine beeper. <laughs> He'd just get paged. Like he, he looked like a drug dealer every time he got a page. You know, was a doctor. Uh, yeah, that's right. So, yeah, that's so right. He, yeah. he he'd get a page, and he'd just like leave the restaurant or wherever, and it's like, ah, dad's going to do something. So. <laughs> no, um, we did not have car phone energy, and I had one of those phones like that, but it was like a toy one. So I was like, right, like like I never got the like '80s big um, the brick. Re, the brick. They called it yeah. the like, Zach. Morris phone. The play phone, like that play phone was already dated by the time I was like whatever, but definitely like the play phone with the clip. That was like a thing. You just needed some sort of thing to flip or to hang up with yeah. w- with those early cell yeah. phones. But if we're talking about the movie featuring said flip phone, one of the earliest pictures showing a flip phone, by the way. Yeah. Uh, what does Jacqueline Coley think about Hook? Rotten Tomatoes wrong? Um, I would say that Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, but not that wrong. Like, <laughs> it's wrong, but not for the reasons you think. It's wrong. I, I call the hook is the kindergarten coffication mm-hmm. of kids' movies. This movie is too mature to hit everything that it needs to hit, but it's too adolescent for parents and sometimes I think adults to follow along with all of it. Yeah. The wonder yep. of it. Because when I think of all the parts of this movie that I love, it's all the Neverland stuff. And I cannot, I literally was like, I need to watch the beginning of this again because I don't remember any of the like, 
you know, generational trauma stuff. Like, obviously. Really? Yeah, it didn't, like, click in my head. The only thing I really remembered from that time was the fact that they very accurately predicted how Maggie Smith would age. I, I know, because Maggie Smith shows up in this movie. We'll talk about it in movie yeah. talk. Yeah. Right now, uh, I also think Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, but I don't think they're that wrong. I think yeah. I'm with Jack on, on this one where I still think that this is one of Spielberg's rotten films, but I think that 29% is just, like, it feels like we're penalizing. It's rough. I think yeah. I can get it to 60 because of some of the, like, Easter eggs on this movie, like because this it's still very cinema. You're getting this to sixty. You're getting yeah. this movie to fresh simply because Phil Collins shows up. I'm getting this to fresh because Glenn Close is in drag. Glenn Close does show up, as does David Crosby. Yeah, yeah. so like that, it's a who's who. Like that gets me to sixty. You put Glenn Close in drag, and Carrie Fisher does like you know punch up lines. This is getting to sixty. Yeah, Carrie Fisher estimate. did do some so uh, like, Tinkerbell line punch up. There's yeah. a lot. That's more to this movie of like, honestly, I just think Steven Spielberg was like, I just want to have fun with my friends and make a nice little happy movie. Yeah. And I'll give him that. Yeah. Well, there's a lot to this movie. Maybe not as much as Tinkerbell wanted from Peter. If you catch my right. drift. Boy, did that get creepy. And I forgot about that. You know, Hook, you, you maybe you love Hook. Maybe you're like me and you're just very indifferent to Hook. But it's the story of adult Peter Pan going back to Never Neverland. He's got to rescue his kids from Captain Hook, played by Dustin Hoffman. And now before we get into our movie, talk about it. We're going to go to our favorite segment, Two Minutes with Tim. That's where Tim Reiner, expert review curation manager, is going to give us the breakdown of what critics were saying at the time of Hook's release, way back when, in 1991, the era of Crystal Pepsi. Take it away, Tim. Two minutes with Tim. It's a philosophical question for the ages. How much does your enjoyment of a movie depend on the context in which you saw it? It's obviously a question unique to everyone, but it's especially difficult to fully grasp how a film was received at the time of its release if you weren't there. I can't tell you how many times people who are usually a couple years younger than me have told me that they can't believe that Hook has such a low score on Rotten Tomatoes. And I want to tell them I was there. I was 14 years old in 1991, so I was the exact age to be interested in a big-budget family fantasy like Hook, but I was also starting to pay attention to what movie critics had to say. And I can't tell you what a whopping disappointment Hook was at the time. Here was a movie that seemingly had everything going for it. It was a riff on a familiar story. It started Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman, each in the midst of their commercial and critical hot streaks. Julia Roberts at the height of her powers. Bob Hoskins, who the kids loved and who framed Roger Rabbit. And a supporting cast that included the great Maggie Smith. Phil Collins, who was still selling millions of albums. And a soon-to-be-famous Gwyneth Paltrow. And of course, it was directed by Steven Spielberg, two years after Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which at that moment was my favorite movie of all time. And I'm telling you, the general vibe was that Hook was a mishmash of tones and overstuffed set pieces that just didn't cohere as a whole. That's the movie I saw, and that's the movie a lot of critics saw. And although Hook did reasonably well at the box office, it was considered a disappointment, especially next to Beauty and the Beast, which was released a couple weeks earlier. And for a few years after that, Hook was synonymous with big-budget flops. Spielberg himself has said he doesn't like it all that much. But for kids a few years younger than me, Hook is a formative movie. It was one of those films they watched over and over again on VHS. And for them, Hook wasn't a misfire. It was a magical experience. It was exciting and poignant. It made them laugh and cry. It became a perennial classic. So those kids were certainly not following the hubbub around Hook's release. Hook is rotten at 29% on the tomato meter with 65 reviews, and it has a 76% audience score. So what did those critics have to say? In a rotten review, Vincent Canby of the New York Times wrote, Hook is overwhelmed by a screenplay heavy with complicated exposition by what are, in effect, big, busy, non-singing, non-dancing production numbers and some contemporary cant about rearing children and the high price paid for success. 
However, in a fresh review, Jay Boyer of the Orlando Sentinel wrote, It's a lot of fun to watch. Over two hours of thrills, spills, elaborate sets, and special effects, all tied together by a pleasingly varied and lighter-than-usual music score by John Williams. The Rotten Tomatoes critics' consensus reads, The look of Hook is lively indeed, but Spielberg directs on autopilot here, giving in too quickly to his sentimental, syrupy qualities. So that's Hook. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark. Two people who refuse to grow up. (laughs) That is very true, Tim. Thank you for that. And I just received some updates. So we have going live as of the night of the 24th. Midnight, the night of the 24th is our final championship round for the Spielberg bracket that we're doing. The Spielberg showdown. So that's going to go live. So if you all want to vote and make your voices heard. Hook did not fare well. Hook was eliminated in round one, but it was paired against a monster. I mean, it was paired against the the, the Duke, the Kansas, the Kentucky of this tournament, which was E.T. So E.T. beat Hook handily. Agree? Disagree? Yes, agree that. Yeah. Okay. So ETB Hook in this. So this is literally in round one. Yeah. In yeah. round one. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, a that's tough, fine. That's fine. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, Hook's, Hook's coming in as the 16th seed. ET Hook won its tiny little conference in the middle of nowhere, and it got invited to the <laughs> dance, and the clock struck midnight for Cinderella because it turned back into a pumpkin. So there we go. ET Indiana Jones Jurassic Park, and I think Saving Private Ryan are his four. Okay. I think. Do All right. Quote me on that, but that's what I think the right. Four. There's a movie from 1975 starring a shark that I think should be in there. We'll talk <laughs> about it. What are we missing? Joss. Oh, what do you mean? Joss. What shark movie? Damn it. Shit. 1941. That's the shark movie. Sorry. Which does feature the Jaws score. I guess it's probably Jaws, E.T., Jurassic Park, and Indy. I'm sorry the man has too many iconic movies for me to pick the final four. Guys made a lot of great (laughs) movies in his day, and we're going to talk about one that we're not sure is great with Movie Talk right now. I mean, you really have to start this conversation with Steven Spielberg, though, right? I mean, the the maestro may be the greatest director of all time, I think, in a lot of folks' eyes, because he can do it all. He can do tiny little independent feeling movies. He can do hard-hitting dramas. He can do suspense. He can do thrillers. He can also do these big-budget family that you just certify as a classic before we even see the movie because of the guy making it. And that's what we thought we were getting into with Hook. So, Brett, let me ask you first, when did Steven Spielberg first get on your radar do you have a a steven spielberg moment as a kid where you're in a theater and you're like this this guy just made the movie of my life um probably et i mean i saw et in the theater and that was the that was when i paid attention to like directors i think is what because i yeah i really really loved that film and uh you, by the way it took forever to come out on vhs <laughs> The kids these days, they get that stuff right away. Nope, that one took forever, and uh, I was when it did come out on VHS, I burned that one up. We too. had never seen E.T. because we had just missed it, and I, it was tough to find it even on TV. So you just yeah. heard about this classic movie, E.T., and I remember my dad came home, probably got a page from somebody. He was buying a VHS in the back alley somewhere, and he came home with a copy of E.T., but this is like 1989, and we're like, we finally get to see <laughs> this movie. And so for me, my first Spielberg movie, Jacqueline was pro- I mean I saw Jaws a lot because Jaws was just sort sort of always in yeah, the, yeah. the yeah. TV rotation even way back when and my my grandma in New Jersey had a little pool my uncle being what great uncles do was the pool shark <laughs> so he had a laser disc player yeah, yeah, so yeah. he had movies on laser disc and so he'd show his Jaws on laser disc which we didn't really notice the quality so much as you had to flip the disc every 20 minutes <laughs> and, and Joss was like five discs long yeah. so it was a process what was Indy's 
it, it wasn't it Ra- was it's Raiders. Raiders of the Lost Ark was eighty one, and then Temple of Doom was eighty four. And then The Last Crusade was 89, but by then I had already been inundated with Indiana Jones somewhat. I think Raiders of the Lost Ark was my first one on TV. Okay. That was my first one because I did go to Jurassic Park wanting to go see a Steven Spielberg movie. And so I knew, like, because that's what, 92? Uh, What is? Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is 93. 93. So, yeah, I was, yeah. Ten, nine, right in that area. Yeah. And so, I mean, we kind of got Revenge Spielberg in 93 because he's making Schindler's List, a very personal yeah. movie to him. But then the revenge comes in with Jurassic Park because even like as Tim intimated, Steven Spielberg not necessarily thrilled with the making of Hook. I think that Steven Spielberg has said in interviews that he maybe felt like he was overcompensating for not feeling like he was telling the story right, particularly in the Never Neverland sequences. And so he just kind of overcompensated by stuffing more and more production design and, and bells and whistles into that and to be honest with you as we get into the movie talk on hook here my big takeaway from re-watching it last night is i don't like the never neverland stuff really i am the weirdo and i remember even feeling this way when i first saw it as a kid it took forever for me to see hook i was so excited to see it didn't get a chance to see it in the theater and then it took another six months after it was released on home video because we never had the blockbuster video the town was too small <laughs> so we go to video update and they had three copies of hook and they were always rented out and you never got lucky so so it's like, okay, let's go for Hook, and Hook's not there, so we would just leave with adventures and babysitting again. <laughs> and so it, when I finally saw it, I was really swept up in like the story of Robin Williams as an adult and losing who he really was, losing that childlike quality. Then we get to Never Neverland, Brett, and I just feel like it's just so overstuffed, yet still empty. Am I, am I wrong here? But that that food fight was so delightful. <laughs> no, it wasn't. I did not enjoy the food oh, fight. I had so much fun with that. Yeah. Thing. Again, yeah. last night I had fun with that. And okay. Those kids are adorable. And the one that when the when the little one like is rubbing his face and like doing it and he goes, Oh, there you are. That was a little you magical. Like, oh, the quiet moments with the kids are fine. It's just like the big adventures in the set pieces and the like, we're about to break into song, but not really. See, this is this is where I will agree with you. So It's my, a fake musical. That's, that is what I will give you. This is the problem with Hook, and this is the actual problem with Hook, is that it is miscast and it is mistoned. Miscast? Yes. And this is where I get controversial. Oh, boy. Robin Williams. We all love him obviously plays a childlike presence within an adult body very well. There's a reason why Jack plays very well, so on and so forth. But Peter is a young hero. He is a young Hercules. He is a young, you know what I'm saying? Like, like when you really think about what Peter was probably like, think of a young Ryan Gosling. Think of a young, um, what was his name? Like that, like this young hero that you know is going to grow into something that can fight, that can do that. And nothing about Robin Williams, I think, sort of, showed that says warrior you know what i'm saying think think uh you know like honestly like like ben barnes and like the way that character sort of is is portrayed honestly the guy that's playing louis right now in interview with a vampire somebody that's going to grow into a very fearsome presence that's okay. what you want to see but have a very childlike quality because he's peter pan that's why he's a boy that never wants to grow up because if he grows up he's going to be towering that's why I don't like it. I think Robin Williams, as much as I hate to say it, is kind of miscast. You wow. need more of an everyman. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. 
Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. You know who I was thinking might have been miscast because I hadn't seen this movie in so long, but was actually, I think, steals the movie is Dustin Hoffman as Captain Hook. Absolutely. He's wonderful in this. And that's the reason why that works better. Think of Dustin Hoffman and how he looks. And think of it if it was this just young, smarmy, you know what I mean? Like kid, like think Tom Sawyer. Think Dennis the Menace. Think like that. But it's like this person's still going to grow up to a pretty formidable adult. That's what the part of Hook I didn't get. So does Hook lose you ever as far as like the the adult stuff at the beginning or are you engaged in the story? That's when I felt the Spielberg magic touch. I was watching this just desperately wanting nothing to be wrong with it because of this. So, and, and, and I did see things. I was going, I'm like, oh, that's a little campy. That's a little, oh, no, no. And like I said, my son was checking out at moments. He actually left the room when I went to go to the bathroom. How old is like, your son? 15. Wow. Oh, yeah. yeah. You tried to get the kids into this. Yeah. And they just, your son tried to hang in. The daughter immediately was just she like, just not like, for me. Goes, I don't like the Peter Pan story. <laughs> I'm like, I, but, all right. And she's 12. She's probably would have maybe enjoyed it a bit more. But yeah, it it's, she's discerning. She's like, I don't need this in no. my life. Yeah, no. right. I don't no. need this complicating. Oh. I just watch Enola Holmes. I'm, yeah, I mean, so. not wrong. Young Henry Cavill would have been yeah. a great young Peter Pan. I'm and I sorry. see what you're saying. Like, yeah, you, you didn't think Peter was going to turn into this bear of a man that they had to shave, apparently. Yes. His whole body for the Peter Pan. Yes. Uh, yeah, Robin yes. Williams, a famously hairy, man. sweaty yes. man. I mean, that's why we all look up to him. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I, that's the only thing about it. He plays the childlike aspect, but that's almost what the betrayal is. You actually want to see this person look very like there's nothing about you yeah. that looks childlike and then become childlike. That's the actual. That's why when you read the Stephen wanted Tom Hanks, you're like, this makes sense. Would, yeah. 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 So Steve originally wanted Tom Hanks to play this role. And I mean, for me, I, I think the scene that I still remember, like really getting me invested into this movie is when uh, Peter and and uh, and his wife, they, they go to this this function and he gives a speech and then they return home to find that the kids are gone and mm. there is a freaking sword with like this weird parchment yeah. saying that Captain Hook is taking your kids. And it's yeah. like, oh, this is really cool. And then we start to get the the wind. And I give a lot of credit to the maestro John Williams because this is nowhere near my favorite Spielberg movie. The John Williams score in this really puts this movie on its back at certain times and carries it through. So that's the scene for me that really got me invested. And then the rest of the movie, it just felt overstuffed. Yet I was still hungry afterwards going to Never Neverland. What's the scene for Brett Sheridan in Hook that you say that's why this movie should be fresh? That's why this movie should be considered one of Spielberg's better films. Uh, well, the the scene, of course, for me, and I, I 
I wasn't a father at the time. You know, I think I was a junior in high school when it came out. And yes, it's too young, older too young to procreate. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I really connected to that whole like the, that his son was his his happy place. You know, like that was his happy thought that helped him fly because I at a young age wanted to be a father. I like I've, I've always wanted to have kids. And at that ah. I was like, oh, man, that would that's so nice because that's what I felt that having kids would feel like. And now watching with my son and going, I'm like, see, it's happy places as father. And he goes, okay. I'm like, he's a little. Uh, could you fly right now if you think about your son? Oh, uh, yeah, I could. I think because I think about him as a little baby. <laughs> okay, not the knucklehead he is. Yeah. <laughs> they come around eventually. Apparently. Yeah, that's what apparently. I've heard. That's what I've heard. Apparently, no. what, what's the scene for uh, for Jacqueline that, that still gets you to say? Because again, I I even feel like you're being a little spicy in this episode because you're getting this movie to fresh as well. Spicy to get this movie to fresh because there's so many great things. First of all, um, Maggie Smith, when she sees that moment and doubles over in that bit of acting, mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, yes, Dame, two-time Oscar Dame, Maggie Smith, do your thing. You it locks I mean? you in. She says, Peter, yes. you've become a pirate. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, yes. this is this is the worst case scenario. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it, her whole moment, I love Tinkerbell giving it to Peter for all of her unrequited love. And more importantly, just for like, I'm the reason why. Like, I literally am putting the dust around everything that you do and you'll just use and abuse me. Justice for Tinkerbell, first okay. and foremost. Um, Wait, wait, let me finish. And my favorite last scene is at the end when uh, Tonks gets his marbles. Yeah, that's nice. That is just give me the sunshine, give me the rain. And again, there's aspects of the production design that are over the top. Absolutely. Um, But the biggest sin is the fact that it's a musical that wants to be a musical. I meant to say that miscast and a musical that wants to be a musical. It just it's every time you feel like it's about to lean into something like that, then it just sort of pivots in a slightly different direction. Yes. The Tinkerbell stuff to me is weird because I I don't know what Tinkerbell is is hoping for in this movie. I think that she's completely overshooting her bound. With hitting on the, Peter, the guy's married. He's the okay? center of her world for all of her existence, and I yeah. don't blame her. It's some weird, like she's this big. It doesn't matter. That's, how is this gonna? Is, how is this relationship gonna function? World is built on him. You cannot like she's just gonna delude herself because again, he's not giving her any agency to love anything else. Now look, I will say because Julia Roberts plays Tinkerbell. This is Julia Roberts in 1991. Julia Roberts goes from being a mosquito to being full like size Julia Roberts. Yeah. Uh, maybe my wife and I have a conversation. No, <laughs> no. Look, honey, I love you, but you know, we she's got wings. Mm-hmm. You know. Also, let's also talk about the fact that, like, again, the one thing I will say when they do the flashback scene and we get Gwyneth for that like one minute. Also, I Gwyneth Paltrow's in this, yeah, right? Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow's in this, which I'm going to go ahead and say is absolutely a nepotism role because she was not. <laughs> she was not. There was nothing about Gwyneth Paltrow's acting at that point. Is because you're a blind Danner's kid that got you that little part in a Steven Spielberg movie, yep. which you can make a direct line between that and Shakespeare in Love and Bye Bye Oscar, like legitimately, <laughs> legit. Legitimately. So, sorry. All I want to say about about this is she's just okay to sexual assaulting the granddaughter in bed. I want to give her a real kiss. And she's like, oh, okay. So long as it's not a thimble, you can make out with her while she can't consent. But go ahead. That was the part that I was like, you know what he's about to do. Pull him away. From your Wake granddaughter. Her up, may introduce them formally, maybe. But before definitely kiss. not that. Yeah. Yeah. Not that. Also, that ki- it's weird. That is the one thing that is weird. That whole scene is weird. 
Okay. The whole, you know, grandma is his love interest back in the day. Then the daughter becomes like that whole circle is, is weird anyway. It so. was like, very confusing to follow. Peter. Yeah. Like they 100%. know they absolutely had sex. They yes. absolutely had sex. And then his granddaughter did too. Yeah. Okay. I know, but I know Tinkerbell is, is, is like a sex fiend in Never Neverland, oh, but yeah. it doesn't really seem to be a prevalent desire for most of the, for most of the folks there. Not even the pirates. <laughs> they just seem content to like sing songs and I drink. Mean, that's why they're boys. I guess they assume that they're not, they're not at that point yet i guess so but i mean dustin hoffman just seems happy you know captain hook just seems happy in a little chamber there he's got were... i love all the different hooks that he has i love his I mean, drinking hook i just figured him and Schmee were oh okay mm. that's fair yeah that relationship has layers bob hoskins is fun as me yeah he really is fun as me also uh the glenn close if you want to be like today anyone listening to this you can be a hero on tiktok by doing that like <laughs> i've seen like three tiktoks of people being like did you know i'm like this stuff like went up on youtube like five years ago this is not this is new information on tiktok this is not new information on youtube well we're probably already getting a lot of fans saying why aren't you talking about this character oh, and yeah. we're gonna stop that right now with rufio played by Dante Bisco, who's just become this pop culture sensation yeah. of a character. And I understand why, because Rufio sort of took over. He's the pan, the current pan in Neverland. And because Peter's gone away and became an adult and is now making deals on his cell phone. So Rufio steps in. By all accounts, the warrior kind of person you're talking about, which is what you'd want for Peter. How does Rufio, the character, and his arc strike Brett Sheridan? Well, this one hits close to home because Rufio, I met at the Saddle Ranch, the actor. <laughs> really? <laughs> yes. Um, Saddle Ranch is kind of Never Neverland for, it's it's right on Sunset next to the comedy oh, store. yeah. Never okay. Neverland for yeah. people who like bandanas. Yeah. I met uh, uh, several celebrities there back in the time, and it was there was free parking. So these oh. must have been uh, fellow cheap uh, comedians. <laughs> That's what we would tell. When I was working the, the parking lot of the comedy store, yes. you'd have people pull in thinking like customers thinking they could park there oh, no. and I was like no but honestly if you park at Saddle Ranch and you just walk in grab a free biscuit come on down yep Oh, wow. piece of yeah. cake so you yeah. met Rufio and you told him what about Hook um, well just that I loved him in Hook you know okay. oh, no, I'm I sure actually, he's never gotten that I, he was he was finding out where the after party was and I had the I had a friend that ran this like underground you know say a secret word behind a building wow. kind of so that was a cool thing for me of loving him in this film yeah. and then returning some, that yeah returning that love but his his, but his, I didn't like him in the beginning. You know, I, I didn't. The Rufio, I, I, he angered me as the character. See, I watched this movie last night and I understood everything that Rufio was feeling nice. because this guy just shows up. Meanwhile, I've cultivated a nice little career for myself as the leader of this tribe. Maybe things aren't going the best in Never Neverland, but come on. I mean, you know, it's, it's not going to be sunshine and roses right away. He's got the sword. He carries it like a warrior. He fights Captain Hook at the end and it still guts me to this day, even though I don't really care about this movie that much. I hate that they killed Rufio. This is the weirdest mm -hmm. thing about this movie. This is another thing when I say of like the kindergarten cop of it. It's like what? Kids get murdered? It's the hardball. Keanu Reeves and hardball. That's like the end of this. I mean, that is a lot. That is that's way worse. <laughs> Hardball's a little more intense. I'll give you that. I was just starting to think about what that meant and those implications. I'm like, Mark, wow. <laughs> It's getting dark in these last days before the special. Huh? Hardball gets a little <laughs> gets a little sadder, I will say, because you feel like Rufio maybe can patch things up I'll at be some seriously. point. 
<laughs> Maybe in the real world. But it's a bummer to see Captain Hook get him like that. Yeah, it is a bummer to see it, and it's hard. That's the part of this movie. It, like, it makes so many turns. It gives us this beautiful moment with this kid where you you get to see him sort of saying, you know, I'm, I'm doing whatever. He's like, you know, the coolest guy on the block. And then you kill him. Yeah, I, I, it had no point to me. I, I don't know why you would do that. I mean, that. I, that was back when you just murked any character for motivation. Like They were was, still often dogs in big releases yeah. back in the early 90s. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it, it, dogs now, you're never going to see a dog die in a movie unless uh-huh. unless it's the first John Wick yeah. or Marley and Me oh. since like, 2000. Something where like it's so it's 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 meant to be the most disgusting thing you can do to something. Yeah, like, right. It's right. That, you cannot like pass over it the way this movie passes yeah. over sort of like Rufio's. Death. Yeah. And, and, and we miss him. And it, it is a fun scene when we are sort of realizing that Robin Williams can actually become Peter Pan. The moment you're talking about yeah. where the kid is kind of molding his face into smiles and they drew a line in the sand and all the other kids aren't sure which line to be on. Like, like I found that kind of like mm-hmm. endearing and, and charming uh, to, to to some extent. But and I got to say this about Dante Bisco, I because it took so long for me to actually see Hook. I recognized him in the movie Hook from the Jeff Speakman action film, The Perfect Weapon. Any takers? Oh, no, he's no. in it. And I was like, that's the kid from The Perfect Weapon. So I was I was immediately rooting for him. And um, it just uh, it just still bums me out. But I feel like the movie wraps up, you know, OK. And, and Robin Williams, the, you're never going to be able to accuse the guy of a lack of effort Definitely when it comes to, to pulling off a role, even in one that Jacqueline feels he's somewhat miscasted. Do you subscribe to that at all? Or do you feel like Robin Williams was the right choice? At this time in his career. I didn't prior to hearing what you said, but I I totally agree with you because if he grew up and was, you know, fully invested in becoming a businessman, he'd probably hit the gym, too. You know, if he had the pan in him, that pan transition from the childish nature, he took that to become driven in business. So, yeah, maybe he's hitting the gym as well. I wouldn't even say it's hitting the gym. I don't mind the fact that he's like pudgy at the beginning of it. I just think. The young boy that is cheeky and and irreverent being hidden behind this very average sort of looking, you know what I mean, figure, I think is the is the greater trick. It's the greater transition. He still looks pretty much like, he, you know what I'm saying? He still looks like he does before. It doesn't really like you don't feel like it changes over. Imagine Leo in like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like that version of Leo Think about it that way. But he's like, but he's, or sorry, the version of Leo that's in Don't Look Up, that sort of like pudgy, not as cool looking guy. But you turn him into Leo in, you know, whatever, you know, the reverent, like looking all grizzly or whatever, like making that turn. You you know, know? because I I thought you were kind of giving it to pudgy guys. (laughs) No, no, no. In fact, he needs to be pudgy. It's about the transition. I think it's about the transition. And then you see this guy is very then and then you see him in the like what he used to be. You don't really see that in this when he's. Peter Pan, you definitely see that he's better and you definitely see that he's lively, but you don't necessarily see what he used to be. You just see this guy has embraced his youth. Except for one scene, except for one scene where I couldn't tell because this scene where we were joking earlier, like they had to shave Robin Williams, entire body multiple times, like five minutes before they went to the air, I'm sure. And he he's got some abs. Yeah, he's got some abs. And so I couldn't tell if they were artificially pudging him up like underneath his shirt, adding like a little pillow. I think so. I feel like you could tell in the plane. Okay. Yeah, it was the roles were all in the wrong because he he's he was such a barrel like built kind of guy anyway. 
And again, not saying that he's bad. It, it's it's just um, there's a visual representation of that character that you want to see. You want to see that it's more hidden in the beginning, which is also not hidden. You can tell that it's like this used to be the funniest guy in every room yeah. he walked in. That's not what you want to see when you see him. You want to see not that. And then he becomes that. That's an interesting point you make, because in this one, even more so than like the serious Robin Williams role, you know, there's like the joke about bearded Robin Williams is yeah, like yeah. in a serious drama, Awakenings, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. This is the one where I did even feel him being like, I'm not sure what the tone is here because I am the quickest mm-hmm. wit in within a thousand miles of this set. Yes. And sometimes he delivers lines like he knows that. And then other times it's like, I have to consciously hold back because I'm not necessarily playing a character like that. So it was just an interesting, and he's, he's, he's fine in the role, No, but it just, you feel the comedian in him struggling to be like, when do I get to come out and play? And that's the thing. And that's what I am not buying in some of the best visual parts of the movie. Okay. Well, Brett did. Uh, Brett did bring in a DVD of Hook for us. That he. <laughs> I mean, seriously. So though, this was at your house. Saying it. This was in. I've got a drawer of DVDs that I should have gotten rid of a long time ago. But uh, super. I, don't bit. do that. Yeah. Physical media will never die. Super bit. Yeah. So I, you. But you. I was going to open that right. to to watch it. But uh, I, I ended up just renting you did, it. You just I streamed wanted to bring, it. I thought it'd be f- funnier to bring in the the yeah. wrapped copy, and I, no, which I told my wife, and she's like, "Why is that funny?" <laughs> it's still, it's even funnier because this is just. Just purchase for love. There's no other reason. That is Hook in all its many forms. And it did have a, two really cool posters. You had like the character poster. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was sort of like that classic adventure swashbuckling poster. And then you just had the classic Hook, which was like, oh, this is going to be good. So Hook does have some redeeming qualities. I still can't get it to fresh after this conversation. Seems like Jacqueline is at least making it fresh adjacent, barely into <laughs> the I, realm of fresh. Fresh for love. You know what? It's it, The writer in me knows that this was written by design and written by a studio and so like I can't really <laughs> love it. But as you said, Carrie Fisher was called to punch up some I of mean, the dialogue. The so. it's, like, it's like if, if this is what is happening, this is not ideal situations. Hook is a perfect example of Get the script before you start shooting. I know that's not always the case, but get the script done. Get it pretty. Before and you start Brett, you still feel that Hook is a fresh movie? I I, I wanted to. I really did. Like I when when I was when Brian asked me, like he said, I go, "Have you seen Hook?" I'm like, "I love Hook." Our producer Brian, yeah, yeah hit you up. And then I'm like, watching, I'm going, "Oh, I'm gonna have to defend this." Oh no, <laughs> oh, no. the rose colored glasses. Yeah, have left it's you. it kind of it was tough. But again, I was watching it at a different time in my life, and I think that we we didn't think about things the way we did like it, this the, the whole critiquing of films among young people was not a thing when I was 17 yeah, yeah. it could have been but no it was the Siskel and Eberts and stuff like that that were like that's boring we just went to and we were more forgiving I grew up on 80s films I mean come on I'm very forgiving to films I'm very forgiving like come on yeah, one mean, of my favorite movies was Breaking I mean oh, come wow. on I, mean, I know how you feel about Breaking First oh, one, but oh. oh wow! See, I definitely love Electric Boogaloo way more because I feel that one just was what it was, whereas in Breakin' was still trying to be a movie with like a narrative yeah. structure. Wow, <laughs> a, a, a conversation road! I did not think we were going to go down. Hey. Did not think we were taking that no. Breakin' exit today. No, hey, listen. Also, another one that features heavily within the book. Uh, this is the last thing I will say, at least for for Hook, as far as like long term repeal or whatever. 
For all the folks listening to this right now who have waited so patiently for us to do Hook, I apologize because they're going to be so (laughs) mad that we did not love it as much because they have been in the comments. So let us know how you feel. We may have to do this one again. Because, yeah, I do. It's wonderful. It's like wondrous. Like, it it does provide wonder. There's moments of wonder. No, it is a wonderful, in that sense, in the sense that you can get lost in its wonder and it is magical in that. And there's still... There's a movie that just screened in Los Angeles that every other mother is waiting on, and it does not bring magic or wonderment. And so I have to give this one a little bit of an edge because that was what its goal was, and it achieved it. All right. Well, let's get into another movie then that I think a lot of people are counting on bringing them wonderment and uh, yeah. big budget returns and, and and all those things that you want with the Steven Spielberg movie, and that would be his new film, which is out as of today in theaters in the United States. The Fablemans, I have not yet seen it, Jacqueline and Brett Sheridan have so let it fly brett first is the fablemans one of steven spielberg's better movies yes absolutely yes um didn't know anything about it going into it um just knew that i got to go to a screening (laughs) (laughs) it's a free movie yeah i gotta go to a free movie um and uh yeah i i didn't i didn't know what to think it started out i was kind of like oh this is kind of cute i mean the the beginning is like oh this is cute it's just a family i didn't see much you know of, of it to where it got to mm. the heart wrenching you know and and then you see the wonderment of you know like the the be loosely based you know Steven Spielberg character and how he you know he got his passion for filmmaking and, and it it's really- basically acts like a love letter to his parents is what I read but Jacqueline I'm kind of like Brett in here where I know very little about the Fablemans we shortchanged the audience with our synopsis for Hook yes what, can you briefly <laughs> without spoiling I guess too much yes. Uh, so The Fablemans basically is a semi-autobiographical tale of Steven Spielberg, his youth and falling in love in cinema with cinema from being a very young boy going to see some old Hollywood favorites with his parents and that first experience of being sort of dazzled by the wonder of cinema to becoming an adolescent and maybe not loving it as much because people around him were telling him that he mm-hmm. needs to give up his little secret <laughs> passion until the very end when he lets his passion and he, and he, I guess, sort of champions himself to be an artist okay. um, to his parents. And this is all playing out among one of the more formative aspects of his childhood, which was his parents' divorce. And he sort of, and sort of like him becoming a filmmaker, dealing with the trauma of his parents' divorce and sort of coming through all of those is where the Fablemans takes it. It's incredible, Steven Spielberg. I, I absolutely think uh, it is one of the best movies he's ever made. And I think uh, you can make a very uh, clear line from Moonlight, which was somewhat Barry Jenkins and uh, definitely Tyrell McCreary's story, to Roma, where that was Alfonso Cuaron taking some imagination, to all of these movies that we've had this year, Empire of Light, Bardo, a couple years ago with Belfast. Fablemans, I think, of all of the movies put together, is the one that embraces the cinema along with the memoir it, it to me and again not even knowing really what the movie was about other than it was about this kid who wants to be a filmmaker and steven spielberg and obviously his history so it felt to me sort of like the way martin scorsese made hugo where it's just like a nod to every movie to the beginning of talking pictures and how much they've inspired him wrapped inside this fun story kind of like steven spielberg going down his own history but also the history of becoming a filmmaker in the era that he came up where unlike a lot of his peers who were getting into USC film school he applied twice and and didn't get in so he had to go he had to go to one of the Cal States I think yeah he went to one of the Cal States and he was part of the whole movie brats era that was you know it was 
it was the guys that Corman saw. He saw Spielberg. He saw Coppola. He saw mm. uh, Kubrick to a certain extent. These guys that were outside of the Hollywood system that, you know, the Wilders and John Fords and all of those guys were, they were making these big movies. They were doing, you know, that sort of thing. These guys are coming out in love with French New Wave. And Corman, like, gave them all their shot. And they eventually became studio players. But, yeah, they had to... They were marginalized themselves just because they didn't want to do the grand MGM type pictures that they were making. Uh, the Fablemans, Brett, is this a is this a movie that you take the family to see? You recommend it to the families listening and watching right now, I probably would, at an airport. I would say um, older children. I don't think that like uh, even even my twelve year old. I don't know. It might. It's a little heavy, you know, in that sense. Okay. Because I, with the the divorce and and the way the divorce unfolds is very you know interesting and not something I don't know if I both want. of y'all's eyes got big when you talked about the divorce. <laughs> there's, there's a bomb's gonna be. Dropped on me. It's yeah. formative. And Michelle Williams stars in it. Seth Brogan stars in it. Both of them have incredible performances. I mean, Michelle Williams plays Steven Spielberg's uh, mother. And Michelle said that she was personally, like I read an interview with her because I saw it at TIFF. And, and, and then when she was doing interviews at the time, she definitely talked about how you know, he saw her mm-hmm. in costume and just cried because he couldn't yeah. deal with wow. it. His mother's obviously passed and, you know, his father's passed. And so, you know, getting Paul and Michelle to play his parents. Paul Dano, yeah. yeah, yeah. Is like a huge honor in general. You know, the same thing that I think uh, Kenneth Branagh did with... With, um, with Belfast, yeah, yeah. Belfast and Jamie and Claire. But I will just put it to you this way. In the, in the grand scheme of things, it's remarkable. I really do hope people will see it, but I love the fact that Steven Spielberg is still like giddy as a teenager about this movie. Like he literally is like, I saw him the night of the premiere and he was like, oh, people like it. Like the guy is like legitly like, he's he's just like that. He's just like that. He's just a chill dude who wants people to like his movies, even though he's made like so many of them, but he's still just like a filmmaker being like, I hope people like it. And that that final bracket, I guess, is is going to be up as of midnight. Yeah. And well, what is the showdown? What is the ultimate Steven Spielberg movie as we close shop up here? We don't have a mailbag this week, so I'll just simply put it to everybody. Maybe this conversation changed your mind about some of the movies. The best Steven Spielberg movie of all time is... Sorry, y'all gonna be mad at me on this one. The Color Purple. Because of all the movies that Steven Spielberg yep. did, that was the one where he had to learn the most, and that was the one where he had to do the most, and that was the one where he did, in fact, on top of that. 11 Oscar nominations on a movie where you were literally trying to give black folks a sense of agency and representation that they've never seen before with that cast. Think about how dark-skinned that cast was. Yep. Think about that cast. Think about the way they look. That movie can only get made by Steven Spielberg, and he had to humble the heck out of himself. Yeah. To make it. All right, Brad, follow that. I have to see. I've seen The Color Purple a lot, and that was on my was know, it? top of my list as well. Whoopi Goldberg uh, partly auditioned, or at least her presence, I guess, auditioned at yeah. the comedy store, yeah, and yeah. Steven Spielberg came to the belly room to see her there, and then it's like, you know. Yeah, I, that one was on heavy rotation on one of the movie channels, yeah, and I TNT. watched a lot. Sure, yeah. 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 Um, Empire of the Sun, which I had a conversation with you, on. I made a reference to that, and you, and you found out you'd never seen that. and I, that Still haven't one, seen Empire of oh the Sun, God. yeah. Oh, oh. That one is one that I would put up there. But I just say I'll have to go back to best in terms of just, you know, 
me, the moment, seeing it, my age, E.T. for me has always been mm-hmm. just like that. That one was so magical. And I was I was kind of with Drew Barrymore. I really felt like this was a real creature, I yeah. think, at the time. I was like, oh, my God. It's, it's my kind of alien. E.T. Yeah. Drinks beer, eats Reese's yeah. Pieces. I can, I, I can jive <laughs> with that. But, you know, for me, E.T., I used to, like, kind of joke that I just didn't trust E.T. because I thought he was a spy, not a botanist. And I was kind of rooting for the government. <laughs> I watched it, I don't know, like six months ago or something, and I, it, it actually hurt me the other way because oh, I was wow. so compassionate and empathetic for E.T. It like actually took away my enjoyment of the movie because I felt so bad for this poor yeah. bastard who gets marooned on this planet. The government wants to carve him open. The scene where they have him captured and he's like in the government mm. like tent hospital and they're about to like dissect him. I'm like losing he's my pale. Oh my oh, yeah. God. <laughs> what are we doing to the kids? It was I, I, too I, much, Steve. Too much. So I, I go Jaws. You go with Jaws. Give me Jaws, man. Okay. Give me three guys on a Jaws boat looking for a shark. So, okay. <laughs> I, I have to make this it's happen. Fair, yeah. You know, I've seen Jaws on a lake, right? So no. In Austin, they have this like uh, they used to do it yearly before the pandemic. This event where they would the Alamo Draft House would do a screening of Jaws like over the summer, and you would float in floaties and oh, watch wow. it on a lake. And I've done that, and I will just tell you. It was the greatest drunken uh, lake experience of mine. Yeah, I would need a couple cocktails. But I am not going to lie to you. I look back on it now like, who thought this was a good idea? Like, there's no lake. There's a lake, so there's no sharks in that lake. But you think anything is down there. You yep. start thinking Nessie is down there. So I'm going to tell you two E.T. fans something that is from a comedy special that I have memorized, which I think is hilarious because I do not love this. But it is from Greg Davies, and he talks about E.T., and he says, I can ruin that for anybody who says it loves it in one sentence, which is this. If you walked out to your garage and you saw that thing out there, you would stove its head over with a shovel. You'd be like, ah! Boom. That's it. Yeah. You would not care that it was magical. I would feed you it would, Reese's Pieces. You would kill it because no human being seeing that in their garage is yeah. not going to think of it as a threat. And so... I'm, I would feel bad afterwards, yeah. is what I'm saying. I would crush it with a shovel, and I feel really bad <laughs> afterwards. Exactly right. We hope you feel better after this hour of movie chat discussion based around Hook and a little The Fablemans and Spielberg's entire oeuvre, if you will. Oeuvre. Oeuvre. Wow, you put the vocab on That's the right. dangles in your... Yeah, I can't get that. I can't get all the specifics <laughs> of the French language down. But uh, Brett Sheridan, it was an honor having you for the first time. Thank it's you. taken us well over 100 episodes, which is too long to get a Brett Sheridan here. Yeah. But we did it. We'd love to have you back again. Where can all the people find you and your movie reviews that I hear uh, you get some level of therapy out of? Yes, well, that's a new segment we have on the uh, Christian Harloff channel, part of the big thing... Uh, it's something I came up with where I review uh, films laying on a therapist's uh, couch uh, <laughs> while Christian uh, a- asked me the questions, which Mark knows is helpful for me because my reviewing skills talking by myself <laughs> for a long period of time tend to go off into these magical places of not necessarily about the film or how I got it at Netflix or I, I couldn't find it at a certain red box. <laughs> so right now I'm doing an, an example. Your reviews tend to go from the real world to never, never. Land yeah, very they quick. go to Never Neverland. So well. this is one to dial me in a little bit and uh, get me to a place. And I feel great about it. And I love the concept. I think people are starting to like it. And it's like, oh, it's just a new take on doing uh, film reviews. So that's cute. Check it out. And hopefully it blows up and I become super huge. And uh, 
is at Mr. Wiggly, where he's already has a monstrous oh. social media presence. Thank you so much, Fred. It was great. Uh, y'all can uh, shoot us an email anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Let us know what movies we should be talking about. And thank you, as Jacqueline intimated earlier, thank you for all of your wonderful hook reviews, your hook videos, your hook yes. takes. We oh appreciate it. We hope you are able to identify with at least one of the opinions presented. Probably not the guy talking to you right now. Um, Jacqueline, it is a big week for us here, but we don't know what our topic is going to be next week. It's yeah. it's a mystery. Yeah, we're, we're, we're playing fast and loose with the facts over here. I mean, we are literally just <laughs> taking it day by day. We're going where the vibes take us, as I like to say. Right. Going where the vibes take us. So I have no idea what we're doing. But we'll be here, and y'all will be listening, and we're going to have a good time with it. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Can I tell you something personally? What? I love that Bad Company shirt. <laughs> yeah. I love that. It's Bad Company, Shooting Star from 75. It that is. band has so many classic, classic tunes. Yeah. Shooting Star may be my favorite one of all of them. Moving on, a great song for yeah, a comedian. On, yeah. So uh, that's that's at that Jack when I Mark Ellis live. Once again, my comedy special tapes December 3rd, 7 to 9 30 p.m. shows right here in Los Angeles. You can get tickets at markellis.live. For Brett Sheridan, Jacqueline Coley, our incredible crew here in studio at Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Thanks for watching, and uh, I guess think happy thoughts, and maybe you'll fly one day. find cars like these on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader you know how to book flights and hotels all you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive that's why you need viator book guided tours activities excursions and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.